as we all know there is a lot of buzz around uh, gcc we have about 1600 uh, gccs now in india and according to one estimate india accounts for about 55% of the world's operational gccs hello piyush i am elend maybe i should uh, kick off this conversation uh, with a question on uh, global capability centers or gcc as they are popularly known i know that as a company global logic works closely with gccs so can you put these facts around gccs in perspective and uh, tell us where we are headed i would give a perspective of where uh, was the arena that global logic plays in and where uh, we can contribute at starting in operations in india looks extremely exotic but when you go through the rhythms and the grinds it it essentially doesn't always enter uh, that route and that exactly is where global logic is of a lot of help to quite a few of these gccs we have been working with them for tens of years now and it makes sense for them to start off with global logic we have a large base in india we have a large talent pool to exploit from we have a very good brand name in india and we can almost attract any kind of talent that uh, we want to attract but that means is these gccs get a head start on the kind of talent that they want to attract they get a head start in in the kind of innovation or value that they want to drive from the center because essentially after all it is a value play it is a cost arbitrage but you know unless you deliver value out of the cost arbitrage it doesn't really make sense so that is another aspect that global logic adds to the ecosystem also it gives them almost a seamless bandwidth to expand and contract uh, because you know there would be present drops on the requirements or needs that the gcs would have so rather than hiring those people on their own it obviously is an extremely easier route to go through or associate with a company like global logic that uh, could could really make that journey simplified for uh, these companies so you know wasn't very simply put right what are the what are the alternatives for any multinational to embrace prolific geography like uh, india right so one is that as you as you would agree with me it's a foregone conclusion that india has far moved away from just the pure labor arbitrage right that was a 20 year old story uh, today it is really about uh, having very deep technical bench in india right in terms of talent the ecosystem that has matured over the last 20 30 years because you know you have had mnc's setting up shop here world class companies setting up shop of different type i mean global logic alone besides driving digital transformation efforts for companies who want to become like software companies has largely been a software company provider and uh, so there are other players like us so there's a rich ecosystem is the point i'm trying to make that is what is really attracting various companies now the options with them are that if you are a very solid and uh, well known brand like for example if adobe was to set up shop today instead of what they did many years ago i don't think they would need anybody or a partner i mean you know they have a solid brand they would come here they would set up their own shop they would use some agencies to set up regulatory approvals and things like that and then adobe could get going or even microsoft right on the other hand there are folks who have an aspiration to uh, leverage india in much broader ways but they are probably not ready to really take the plunge so to say right so they the option for them is to work with a good partner and explore the ecosystem and then gradually kind of you know grow and then the global logic business model has been really to be able to provide 
a much more accelerated bridge to captive aspirations, which works at twice the speed of, you know, if somebody was wanting to do it on their own, which can get them to a level of capability and maturity to really start driving impact in a short period of time. Because it's not, it's not just about hiring people, right? It is about the culture, the right fit, doing the right kind of uh, activities, creating that voice within the larger parent organization so that more and more work comes to the GCC, as we may want to call it in this conversation. And so this becomes a very low, low risk, highly mature and predictable way of gaining access to a, uh, a GCC kind of a setup. So that's that's really where, you know, uh, what we have practiced in a repeatable way uh, over the last many years. The only thing I will add is that we also work with existing GCCs to the point that Piyush was making because uh, no GCC or nobody can do it alone in today's world, as they say, right? So partnerships and ecosystems are very key. And the larger the organization you are, a more prolific, uh, uh, you know, ecosystem is what you want to have. That is how I would like to just kind of round off everything uh, that Piyush said. Very interesting. And uh, we have seen the evolution of GCCs over time. You know, as you just said, uh, we have seen them transforming from just being a back office to driver of innovations and by extension, a key profit center. So do you think that uh, as far as GCCs in India are concerned, have they arrived? And what role do you think that uh, global logic uh, can play uh, to make this transformation very effective and to kind of make help these uh, GCCs? Uh, make a real difference. If you take examples of a few companies that were operating in the same space a few years ago, they were mostly coders or executors sitting here. Most of the design used to happen out there, uh, meaning either in the US or Europe or Australia or somewhere else. The guys sitting out here would receive a requirement document, a design document, an architecture that was fully laid out, and they would code those web pages or whatever they, they had to code. If you look at it today, the addition in terms of value is end-to-end. Our guys sit with the product team to develop the product requirements. They sit with the design teams or rather they design the products themselves. They build out the architectures themselves and they they execute code it out, you know, in, in more instances than not, manage the entire deployment from here, sitting from, from here. So what, what that means is the addition in terms of value that has come about in the last few years is almost immense. Uh, Many times we just receive an idea on the back of a napkin and the entire story is is being painted uh, from uh, from here. And you see that in the companies that are evolving in India also, right? You know, even outside of global logic, look at the evolution of uh, the digital payment infrastructure in India with companies like Paytm or all others or the banking or retail uh, infrastructure uh, with companies like Mintra, Flipkart, Snapdeal and, and all others. Their digital and electronic infrastructure is second to none. Uh, you know, you get your deliveries on Mintra in like, you know, a few hours after you order. The entire thing is well tracked and, you know, you keep receiving updates like like you would anywhere else in the world, I would, you know, rather say better than most other places in the world, which essentially means that the maturity of the entire ecosystem that builds out software in India is far more than any any other alternate uh, in the world, which makes these DCCs bank on India for end-to-end value arbitrage rather than going in for 
a transactional cost arbitrage. I would say that, you know, that is how I would define having arrived. Uh, and I certainly feel that, you know, these, these places have arrived and they have a, a very detrimental role to play. They, they determine the success or the failure of the entire enterprise rather than only the GCC operating out of here. Absolutely. In fact, I'll just give it another angle for simplicity, Vasant, right? That if you take software, it fundamentally is moving from on-prem to the cloud. A lot of companies move to the SaaS licensing model without moving the underlying infrastructure. There are obvious, uh, you know, uh, obstacles to that, right? But the reality is that you cannot live with, uh, you know, semi-annual release cycles for new features and products. Uh, you have to, the market is becoming competitive. In the software space, if you have to survive, you have to be absolutely delivering meaningful product weekly to, to the customer, probably, you know, as frequently as people's aspirations are weekly, but even if they get to quarterly and monthly from a annual or semi-annual release cycle, that itself is a big thing. Now, when you look at it in from that lens, right, it is really not about just cost. It is about, you know, what is the overall value that is getting delivered? Are you owning life cycles of the software development life cycle? It cannot operate as a tell me what to do. It has to be through autonomous teams and autonomous decisions. How those responsibilities are factored between the mothership and the GCC is a different conversation. But those are the kinds of things that get into play. And exactly to Piyush's point that now the arbitrage is all about speed. This entire cost equation is only the first year equation, actually speaking, right? Because now that, you know, if somebody moves 50% of your entire R&D budget or by headcount to a GCC, that cost arbitrage is just a year one game. After year two, your entire R&D spend is now baseline to that number. And you still have to deliver all those outcomes that you expect as a commercially viable world-class company, as a software company, right? Then you cannot be just operating in augmentation mode and just looking at cost, but you've got to be looking at real value, lifecycle ownership, and the ability to have fungible skill sets, right? Because product roadmaps change, product management starts playing an important role. I think that's the one key differentiator and driver that you'll notice when you say GCs have arrived is all about, you know, are they playing a role in actual product management, which is, you know, outbound product management as opposed to inbound product management, right? And uh, you just spoke about the fact that uh, how in terms of efficiency, uh, the Indian GCCs, the Indian players, the Indian units are second to none. And you also spoke about how robust the ecosystem has has become. The GCCs are also major employment generators as far as India is concerned. I mean, at last count, I think they employed about 1.7 million people. Uh, But despite their rapid growth in recent times, uh, they've also been facing problems in terms of attracting talent, talents, given the problem that that they have had in employer branding and talent acquisition and and so on and so forth. So given your uh, engagement with GCCs, can you elaborate on the kind of demand they typically make in terms of talent sourcing and investment allocation? Kind of demand that we get from GCCs is, is almost secular as compared to what we get from any other place. The technologies of the day keep on evolving. And whoever is making a product today uh, would want to work on the latest and greatest of technologies and, and, and stuff like that. That said, I think there are two streams in which we get demands. One of them is a stack that, you know, is, is, is a few years old. 
but extremely popular, extremely robust in which a company needs to maintain itself. Uh, and then uh, there is a demand for new products that are being built or new platforms that are being erected, uh, which are being done today, uh, which would mean that, you know, we would be looking at you know, stuff around microservices, certainly, but, you know, at times in Rust or Python or, or whatnot. So these are the two two frames of demands that we get. I think the demands are larger today and and more than ever. But the Indian software training industry or, you know, the, the schools uh, have also matured and they, they, they keep themselves really abreast. So I think that is one reason why this demand does keep getting fulfilled with a lot of extremely high quality talent uh, that exists in the market. The second differentiator, which I feel that we are introducing here, is shaping the, the kind of talent in in how the life cycle evolves or what they become. One of the differentiators that we provide is right in the college through our industry academy programs. And we have a tie up with seven or eight different colleges. Uh, we teach courses that would be technically useful for them when they enter the industry in the fifth and sixth semester. And then we go ahead and hire them in the seventh semester. What that does is, you know, we catch them young, uh, they catch the technologies young. Uh, it, it becomes an extremely win-win-win cycle. Uh, for everybody. The second is once they are in the company, we believe that learn once use for life, life cycle is just over. Uh, you have to get into a lifelong continuous learning phase. And the academies that we have built inside of Global Logic keep upskilling people regularly. We train about a thousand people in our year long academies that people take every year. Uh, and that really keeps people ready for the challenges that are that are getting faced. So I think these are a couple of things that are cherry on the on the IC. But the cake itself is is pretty well baked uh, because the entire Indian academia is is really upbeat to receive the demand that is getting. Interesting. Uh, so staying on with employees, uh, with the rise in uh, rise of remote and freelancing work models. How does Global Logic envisage the future of work within the context of GCCs? Uh, I would say that, you know, we have been preparing for it for many years, not just uh, during COVID times. Uh, you know, things moving to cloud, people operating from home once a while, you know, pre-COVID it was like uh, a day in a week when people would operate out of home. Post-COVID it has been like, you know, two to three days a week uh, when people operate from home. I think we have been training ourselves for quite a few years, which is exactly why when COVID hit, uh, we did not really face any kind of outage. The game is is changing uh, for the entire industry today. And in prep for the game as it evolves, we are thinking of various models. One of them, of course, is to keep being a hybrid workplace, which means that people operate out of homes as they wish to. You know, at times two days a week, at times three days a week, at times a week as set, and, you know, they spend next week in office and stuff like that. Uh, some people are are remote for much longer times because they are not in the cold cities where uh, you know we are we are developing in. But when there is a need, uh, you know, if there is a customer release or there is a requirement gathering session or you know there's uh, a customer workshop that we have to conduct and everybody is here, uh, we demand and have all all everybody in room, and, and that has never been a challenge. You know, we are. We have uh, fortunately been blessed with a pretty cohesive unit. There has never been a challenge in getting people in when needed. 
in addition to that, we are trying to explore hub and spoke models where, you know, for example, at this point, we are we are trying to see if we could base smaller centers in tier two, tier three cities uh, closer to the centers that we have. Uh, we are exploring Nizamabad or areas around Hyderabad for one of trial runs where we would have people based out of there, uh, you know, maybe a 200, 300 meter there and people operating. Uh, so so that that gives people the best of the both worlds, meaning they stay close to their hometowns, stay close to their parents and still are able to get an office infrastructure where they can come and work. No, absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, I would say that, you know, whatever COVID forced us into should also be leveraged for competitive advantage, right? Yeah. Uh, for ourselves and for our clients. I mean, if today I have a team in Vizag that I have access to, and just because I don't have an office there, uh, doesn't mean that I can't have access to that talent, right? But to Piyush's point, the balance is that, for example, if we explore tier three cities and stuff like that, it will be by design so that we can at least create office hubs where people can get yeah. together locally. And then also if required, if the entire core team is in Noida or in Bangalore, you know, for existing uh, setups, right? Then they, we should, we should also uh, make sure that there are logistics in place for them to travel over uh, as and when required during certain uh, important engagement milestones, right? And I think customers have also got fairly uh, used to this idea. For example, Global Logic in the U.S. has got mandated Tuesdays and Thursdays as work from office days, one floating day. Uh, that anybody can choose depending on their preference. So make it three days out of the entire week and depending on the job function, right? I mean, a guy like me, I'm on the road. So really Tuesdays, Thursdays doesn't matter. I'm actually eager to go to the office as much as I can because I'm also old school. (laughs) I like to interact with people. So, you know, there are a lot of these things that play into all of this, right, Vasan? Yeah, very interesting. In fact, I quite like the idea. Uh, In fact, I like the fact that uh, you said... uh, uh, I mean, how to turn your constraints into competitive advantage. Uh, first, kind of uh, conquer your uh, constraints and then turn them into competitive advantage. And think, I think that's what COVID has taught all of us. Great. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, the, yeah. and the key is, you know, you have to be very transparent with our customers and with our employees, right? Once you have transparency in place, then all of these flexibilities being flouted very randomly is minimized. And uh, that's that's the name of the game, right? Uh, uh, just total transparency with our customers that this is the way we are operating. So, uh, given the breakneck uh, speed at which the sector is growing, how do you see the possibility of M&As and uh, what do you think will be the impact on the industry? Your uh, your question is from the perspective of the provider part of the industry, like service providers of various sizes and the consolidation within them? Exactly, exactly, because uh, there are multiple players are coming in because they see tremendous potential, but at some point of time, you are also likely to say see consolidation uh, driven by various factors. So, how do you see this trend kind of evolving, and uh, and what do you think that what kind of role that global logic can play in such a scenario? I can answer this from the perspective of what we have been doing for the last eighteen months, right? So. The current macro market, right, is very conducive to good va- good valuations. Let me put it this way. Just to digress a little bit outside of India, just to give you the context, uh, we were rapidly able to make a 1,400 people company acquisition in Romania because we wanted to further de-risk our Ukrainian operations, right? Uh, and this happened in the September quarter last year. Yeah. And with rapid succession, 
practically at the rate of one acquisition a quarter, we were able to consume a deal with another 1200 people company based in Latin America to, uh, you know, enhance our presence there, which also gave us additional footprint in Colombia and Peru outside of our organic footprint in Argentina and Mexico. We are actively scouting and looking for similar kind of, you know, ticket sizes uh, in India. So there is opportunity within India to consolidate. We will double down on that opportunity. And our acquisitions have not been, you know, like huge, right? Wasant? I mean, they're not like buying a half a billion dollar company and making it very revenue accretive. Our acquisitions have always been about, you know, increasing our footprint in a particular geography uh, or that plus getting some more deeper domain capability in a particular vertical that we serve, which is representative of our acquisition in Ireland recently, which is 225 people based in Ireland, focused only to uh, traditional telecom, 5G and stuff like that, right, which is Sidero. All this is publicly available information. That is a serial path that we will be on and uh, cannot ignore India because, you know, from India perspective, the only thing that I will say is that anything that gives us a U.S. India corridor kind of a company is the company that we will be looking for. Similarly, from the perspective of acquisitions, we would focus more on, you know, we won't focus on becoming larger uh, just because, you know, we want to be larger. So we will, like Milan said, not acquire possibly a $500 million company just for the sake of becoming larger. I think what we focus on and we will continue doing is look at white spaces where we want to fill in or or buffer up. Uh, so in India, for example, we are looking at pockets around embedded or auto or medtech uh, technologies where we can buffer up our strength, uh, go go double swing in front of the customer. Okay, uh, leaving M&As aside for a moment, what is your general mode roadmap for India? Uh, when it comes to collaboration with GCCs, what exactly do you want to have you planned for the near short to medium term in India? So I can I can tell you, uh, you know, what our uh, prevalent models of working with GCCs are today. Right. So if you really look at it, if I'm working with an existing GCC, we are working with them largely in two modes. Right. Number one is that we are helping them as a sidecar if they want to expand outside of the current location that they're in. So, for example, a lot of GCCs are landlocked in the southern part of India, either Bangalore or Hyderabad or whatever, right? And they just don't have access to the northern corridor, which is Noida Gurgaon. Or it could be a case where a GCC has set up in Pune, but now needs to getting a broader leverage of India as a geography, right? So that's a sidecar arrangement. One example of that is Highland Software, right? It's a billion-dollar content management software company is the world's leader in content management. Uh, they grew by acquisitions over the last 25 years. Through one of the acquisitions, they inherited a 100-people team in Calcutta. That became their India footprint. But then when they had to do some accelerated value creation, they had no choice but to work with scale partner who could help them get there uh, in time and with the desired outcome. So that is how they set up a lab or a IDC or whatever you want to call it uh, with Global Logic here in NIDA. So now we are coexisting with them as an ecosystem. So wonderful. Uh, I think uh, we have covered substantial ground here. Once again, thank you for your time and sh- uh, sharing some excellent uh, insights with us. I also wish you great success in whatever you do. Thanks for taking time.